Welcome, everyone, to the In-House Roundhouse, where in-house lawyers, outside counsel, and industry experts gather round to discuss current issues and best practices. I'm your host, Mark Enriquez, a commercial litigator with Womble Bond Dickinson. I have with me today two wonderful guests. The first you may recognize, the always brilliant Melinda Davis-Lux. Melinda, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Mark. Fun to be here. Uh, we're also joined by Gant Sawinski. Gant is an associate general counsel with tire giant Michelin and has been with the company since 2004. Gant, thanks for coming. Thanks, Mark. Excited to be here. Um, I know you made the drive up from Greenville, South Carolina. Let's start. Just tell our listeners a little bit about what your role is there at Michelin. Sure. So I've been, as you say, with Michelin for almost 15 years, uh, all in the uh, legal department. Prior to that, I was with a regional law firm uh, based in Greenville. I am a transactional lawyer, although as most in-house counsel can attest, becoming more of a generalist than a specialist as the years go by. But uh, I am in the legal department of Michelin. Michelin is a French company. Uh, headquarters is in France, publicly traded on the French Stock Exchange, but we are present pretty much in every continent, and Greenville, South Carolina is our North American headquarters. So, yeah. Great. How many lawyers work in the whole Michelin uh, enterprise? Yeah, so globally, we have more than 100 lawyers. Wow. Um, so we manufacture the best tires in the world, and we manufacture them in almost every continent of the world. And so we've got lawyers uh, where the business is, and that means uh, we're global. In North America, we've got about 35 people in our um, legal department and around 15 or so lawyers. And then we've got a large concentration of lawyers in Europe and China and Asia and South America also. Wow, that's great. So the 15 lawyers in the States, are they all in, in Greenville? Yes. Um, so uh, we have one lawyer in Canada that is physically present in one of our manufacturing facilities up in Nova Scotia. But the rest of the lawyers are in Greenville and uh, in really in two different locations. Our, our corporate headquarters is in one side of Greenville, and that's where most of our legal department is. But then we've got our one of our uh, really three three R&D facilities globally is also headquartered in Greenville, and our intellectual property team is based along with the tire designers or the R&D folks on the other side of Greenville. So we've got some people from the legal department spread out, but uh, most of them are in Greenville. Great. Well, Gant, I wanted you here today, and I want you to feel free to chime in too, Melinda, but to talk a little bit about key performance indicators or KPIs. I think there is a lot of dialogue, not only within legal departments, but in a lot of business sectors about, you know, what are key performance indicators? How do we measure them? You know, I know we live in an age of big data yeah. um, where everyone is looking at numbers and how to measure them, but I think it can be challenging to actually decide what those performance indicators are. And I don't think there's been a lot of discussion for legal departments about those. Um, I understand you are in the process or have finished the process of updating and thinking about uh, the KPIs at Michelin. So I wanted to talk about that. But first, can you maybe just share for our audience that may have heard KPI but don't really know what the term means? What What is a KPI? Yeah. How do you decide you know, what, how to kind of define that term before we start talking about some of your, your specific ones? Yeah, I, I think um, 
So one thing I've learned is, and I don't think this is specific to legal departments, but um, when you talk to business colleagues, they have the same, I think, general comment is uh, a lot of people call metrics different things, you know, KPIs, dashboards, uh, KOIs is another term I've heard. And I think they can be used for a variety of different things. But the general point is to measure something that's important to measure to understand whether you're going in the direction that you want to go. And so KPIs or key performance indicators are one one way to do that. I think it is an area where legal departments are using KPIs. Our business colleagues or our sales department or marketing department within Michelin uses them also. Certainly from a manufacturing perspective, our, our, uh, our plants use uh, KPIs also. So it's really just a method to try to communicate, to understand what it is that we want to track and communicate about how we're doing along a certain trajectory. So we have have been using, you know, I would say KPIs or metrics in some form or fashion ever since I've been within the legal department. So uh, for years, I think it's evolved uh, a lot and it's continuing to evolve. Uh, We are constantly looking at what do we want to track? Why do we want to track it? Uh, That's something that I don't think ever really ends. And so it's an evolution for sure, but it's becoming, um, I think, more and more important for legal departments, not only ours, but uh, when I talk to in-house and other companies as well, it's an important part of running a a department within an organization. I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm interested uh, in particular in how you went about deciding to update it or what the process is. I've talked to other in-house counsel that say, you know, yeah, we'd like to have some KPIs, but I think the question becomes, who decides? Does the, does the GC just, you know, go to a checklist and say, well, the, you know, these seem like the right ones or spend's easy. We're tracking that already. Let's make that a KPI. Um, what was your process? And I guess what tips can you give to the other busy in-house counsel out there about how to make the process work? Sure. Uh, well, I think one thing that we've learned is there's no really magic bullet on this. Uh, There's certainly some best practices that I think legal departments use in terms of tracking. You mentioned spend. That's an obvious one. But uh, I think the harder question or the work I think involved is just sitting back and understanding and debating really what do we want to track and why do we want to track it? Because I think one thing we've learned is you can track a lot of different things. Uh, Some things you can track because you have data relatively available. Other things you can track because because you're just interested in tracking it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's important to track it. And so I think the first point is to understand what are the things that you really want to understand more about by having a good view of the data and what decisions do you want to make as a result of having that data. And so that sounds like a pretty elementary thing to say, but it becomes a lot harder, especially when you're dealing with an organization that's changing and different systems that house that data. And so many times what we found is, you know, we would love to track something But tracking it or the data is not relatively available or it becomes a very manual process to track it. And then you got to figure out, well, is it worth the time to track the data or is it really not that important and it's not worth uh, a manual process to track it? So I think the first real question, the harder question is, you know, what what is it that we're trying to change or to do or get a handle on in terms of where we're spending our time and where is that information? So that's uh, that's where I would say that's where we start, but that's where we come back to many times when we think about, uh, okay, here's a KPI, let's say we're tracking spend. Well, we may track that for a while and then we realize that's actually not 
the right thing to track because we're more interested in some aspect of that data that we're not tracking. And so I think it's something that uh, really, uh, maybe it sounds cliche, but you always got to come back to say, okay, why, why do I have this information? Is it really the important information? And how does it help me make the decisions that are really pressing for our department today? And that will change over time, I think. That's a, yeah. No, I think that's a really valuable point. And I think sometimes, yeah, people want to look at data just because they're curious or, you know, kind of, mm-hmm. oh, I'm wondering what this number is. Right. Uh, but if it's not really going to drive any decisions, why do it? Yeah. I, I know. And that can be a challenge, too, if you're working with outside vendors, for example. They, their, their tendency is, oh, we'll give you a beautiful dashboard to show you 20 different variables without really thinking about, is that going to impact you know what you're doing. So exactly. I think, yeah, yeah. I think you that that's that's great insight that you have to decide what yeah. what matters. What, yeah. What's what's going to be actionable? And what, that's not always an easy question to answer because you you have different inputs and different perspectives uh, even within the legal department because what may be interesting or important for our IP lawyers or our intellectual property team may be very different than what would be interesting for our litigation team or our contracts uh, team. And so uh, having those discussions and understanding what do we track and why are we tracking it and what decisions are we trying to make better with that data is uh it's not always an easy conversation to have. I think it was a good point also about, you know, it's easy to, there's things you already track and it's easier to take those things and start comparing them and looking at them when those actually aren't the relevant things and it'll take a lot more work to track something else. And, yeah. But that's the the more important metric for whatever. It, exactly. Whatever yeah. I mean, you know, how we have evolved, uh, Melinda, is a great point. I mean, we had uh, one of our basic systems that we use in our legal department is just a matter management system. I imagine, you know, most law firms have them, most in-house legal teams have them. And there's a variety of reports or metrics that those types of systems can, I won't say automatically, but without a ton of effort can provide. And that's a good baseline start for a KPI is, you know, where where am I spending money essentially or uh, tracking budgets versus spend or things like that. And that's certainly an important one and one where probably you start to identify, okay, these are some KPIs that are pretty valuable. Then you start to realize, well, maybe there's some other things outside of that system that we would love to have some data on, but we're not tracking it. And so then Mm. that becomes the hard work to say, okay, how do we get that information? Did you start with kind of a a number in mind, how many KPIs you could do. I, I mean, I imagine there's this tension between you want to have enough that they can inform decisions, but if you have 100 KPIs, mm-hmm. the K probably doesn't matter. Is it, <laughs> is it really a key performance indicator if there are 100 things yeah, you're supposed that's to be a very good, managing to? Yeah, that's a very good uh, point. I mean, in our industry and certainly um, with our company, we're a very engineering-driven company, and so we love processes and we love data and we love facts. And so so you can track lots of different things, and that sometimes breeds what I would call kind of one-off KPIs. You know, maybe someone says one month I would really love to see a KPI on this metric, and you go off and you do some work, and maybe that satisfies a short-term question or a curiosity, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's something that you need to be tracking monthly. You know, over the next couple of years, and so just like in a variety of of other things, kind of you can have scope creep and. Start Start with five KPIs and then 
three years later, you realize you're tracking 15 and you still got to come back and say, okay, well, do we need to track all these? Or was that something that was related to a short-term objective and we've passed that and we don't need that KPI anymore? So again, I think it comes back to always asking the question, okay, why are we tracking this and how is it helping us make these decisions? I know one thing that I think at least all the legal departments I've worked on have been concerned about spend, right? Mm -hmm. That seems to be something that they're mm -hmm. constantly being told needs to be managed, right. reduced, whatever. And obviously, you can measure total departmental spend. Mm -hmm. Were there other spend-related KPIs that you decided on that might be you know, more valuable or maybe a little more decision-oriented or tips around spend KPIs that you could give our listeners? Yeah, I mean, one thing that's interesting for us is spend versus budget, you know? And I think in some cases that helped us realize, okay, in some areas and in some matters, it's easier to uh, have uh, good budget practices than others. And so if you want uh, a KPI, a simple KPI that, that measures how am I doing versus my budget, well, you, you gotta have budgets. And again, so I think sometimes that's an example of a KPI that may tell tell you something in, you know, objectively, hey, I'm red or green or yellow on this, but it also may highlight another point in terms of your operations to say, okay, well, we, maybe we need to get better at budgeting something as a result of having this indicator. So I think it can drive other behavior as well. You know, again, you hear over and over again, you tend to change the things that you can measure effectively. And that's true. The question just comes back to what, what do we want to measure and why? Gotcha. For budgets, and obviously our listeners know we've talked about some alternative fee arrangements and managing legal spend a couple times on this podcast, um, do you, are your budgets set largely by outside counsel on the particular matters, or are they set by your internal team that are managing those outside counsel? Is it a mix? Can you share uh, generally? Because that's something I've seen vary some yeah, department to department. Yeah, it can vary. It, you know, I think you're right. It, it, the answer is yes, both or all of the above. I mean, it, it tends to really be specific to either the matter or the type of matter. And so in some cases, you know, it may be more driven. If it's a new area or things like that, we may not have as uh, firm of an idea of what we think the budget should look like. If it tends to be more a standard matter or deal or type of deal or things like that, then we've got more experience to kind of build in what our expectations are. Uh, uh, what we think our expectations are. Um, so we have to be flexible, I think, you know, is the short answer to that and understand, you know, what assumptions are we making when we come up with a budget number, what drives that number and where could it get off track either on our end or on an outside counsel side. And uh, with experience, you have a better idea of those than something that might be brand new. Gotcha. You know, in addition to spend, which I know is always an issue, I think fundamentally a lot of what in-house counsel do is manage risk, mm -hmm. whether it's litigation risk of this is a big case um, or a lot of the transactional risk uh, that we deal with. Um, were you able to come up with KPIs around risk? Because I think in many ways that's a harder thing to do. You know, what was your approach in thinking on, you know, how to measure your ability to manage risk? Yeah, that is tough. I think that's probably one area where, you know, after you get some of the low-hanging fruit in terms of budgets or things like that, uh, or other data that's readily available in some systems you have, 
what tends to be a little bit harder, what we've experienced tends to be a little harder is is trying to quantify or measure risk. In some cases, it could be uh, we know what the risk is. We need to measure how we're doing against the risk. Uh, in some cases, we may not know what the risk is, and it may be just trying to quantify how do we make sure we go find out that risk. I'll take an example. If we've got a new offer to the customer or a new business line or things like that, part of our uh, education may be just really understanding what is involved in this and how risky is it. And so that may be a different indicator than once you establish what some of those levers of risk are, then how do you measure where are you inside the yellow lines or, or outside those um, could be a different uh, set of KPIs. So it kind of depends on where you are in understanding what the risk is, I think. But coming back to your question, I think it can be a bit harder because, I mean, it's hard to put a number on risk sometimes, and risk may differ based on the person's risk profile that's measuring it. And so if you've got a team of lawyers who are looking at risk, you know, you may have uh, some members on the team that are more comfortable with risk than others or may value certain types of risks differently. And so that, I think, is where the team dynamic comes in to play to say, okay, collectively, how are we measuring this? And and it's good to get different opinions on that. But I think it, it comes back to being a little bit more difficult to measure in a quantifiable way. Can you give our listeners like one or two examples of what a risk-related KPI would be? Yeah. Again, I think that's like mm -hmm. the, the ones managed to track to spend are easier to get our hands on where, okay, what's my spend this year compared to last or this quarter compared to last or this compared to budget? Yeah. I think with risk, it's harder yeah. maybe to even understand what one looks like. Yeah. So, you know, one example could be, okay, if you're, uh, let's take a, a team that's managing drafting and helping negotiate contracts for a particular, you know, division or sales organization. Well, understanding what we would recommend be in those contracts, let's say an indemnity clause. You know, this is our standard indemnity clause, and this is how we would manage the risk that we would take in a contract with the customer. Um, you have a standard there. Um, you've kind of defined what you want the ideal world to look like. You know that you're not going to get it uh, 100% of the time. So how do you measure if we've signed 10 contracts that are based off of this template? You know, do eight of them have that standard mm. indemnity clause in it and two don't? Um, what's driving the two? And uh, is two an okay number or, you know, not? And so that's an, an example from a contract perspective to say, okay, we've kind of quantified what some of the risks could be and we're measuring those based on a contracts uh, that we've signed with the customer. Great. Thanks, Gant. That's, that's, that's a good example. Gant, don't you also have, because obviously you have a limited number of in-house people and you have lots of people out there negotiating contracts. Like if I'm remembering right, you have, you know, like a toolkit yeah. for people and you do training. Yeah. So when people go out there and negotiate contracts. And so do you measure that? Is that an example of where you would measure back? Like when you get the contracts? Yeah, hey, that's, here's how they're doing. Um, that's a great example of things that we would love to measure, but having a system that helps you get that data and reduce what could be a very manual exercise. So again, let's say uh, that you've got a sales organization that's signing 30 contracts a month based off of a template. You know, How do you go and look at of those signed contracts, which one of them followed the standard language and which ones deviated from it? That can be a lot of work, um, depending on the type of contract and the length of the contract and things like that. So you know, one of the things that we're doing is uh, really investing in technology 
technology to help us do that in a better way, you know, to track. It's one thing, like you say, to have a toolbox of templates or even standard clauses that you try to recommend that the business use. It's another to actually track do they use them? What's driving, you know, the exceptions to that? And what changes can you make to try to minimize that risk that exists? And those cases, I think that's tough when resources are, you know, uh, constrained in some ways or you have a limited uh, amount of resources to say, okay, we're going to let somebody go count contracts, read contracts, track contracts manually uh, versus trying to have a system do that or a piece of software can do that. So that's one area where we're saying, okay, we can use an investment in a piece of software to help us uh, do some of that work to have the data a little more readily available. Gotcha. Well, and that you've answered. Uh, we talked a little bit about what to measure and why, but I think you've covered, you know, the how, which is a challenge for yeah. a lot of companies is, okay, it'd be great to have this. Yeah. But so your solution was, when you say an investment, you're talking about going ahead and hiring, either purchasing some software or getting some outside entity to come in and help do the measurements. Yeah, or, exactly. Or mine the data from your system to tell you, exactly. okay, out of the out of the 100 contracts, this is how many have the clause. Yeah, we do. As you can imagine, you know, uh, we do a lot of contracts. And so just like a legal matter management system that tracks your matters and your spend and your relationship with law firms and things like that, uh, there are a lot of vendors that do that. There are also vendors that have contract management software that can help uh, businesses manage the contracts that they negotiate and signed. And so that's an area where we've realized that, okay, it doesn't make sense for us to try to continue to do this manually. Maybe there's a way that we can uh, we can use technology to help us. Yeah, it's slightly off topic, but uh, I know we were chatting before we got on air about the fact that one of the things you recently did was actually select a contract management software for your office. Mm -hmm. I, I asked that just because I know a lot of other GCs are struggling with that yeah. process, A, to get the, the leadership and business support to make the investment, yeah. but B, how to sort out from the the range of vendors. I don't I don't need you to promote any particular <laughs> vendor, but it'd be great if you could just share, having just gone through the process, sure. if you were having lunch with one of your fellow GCs that said, oh my God, I've been tasked with, you know, selecting a contract management uh, you yeah. know, vendor. Yeah. What, you know, what tips would you give them for that process? Yeah, you sure. Know, having, now that it's in your rear view mirror, well, not really in your yeah, rear view yeah. mirror, you've got to implement it, but no, I guess yeah. now that you've at least made the selection, you know, what do you wish you had known Yeah, beforehand? well, it's interesting because you know, KPIs actually did form a driving role in what we were looking for. Okay. And by that, I mean, you know, part of what we are looking for is a tool to help us have a better sense of where our activity is when it comes to contracting. And you've got activity for sales teams, you've got activities for the legal department, you've got activity for other people in the organization. But having a tool to help you give you an idea of how much time are we spending, where are the, the blocking points and uh, the dead ends and things like that that just happen when you negotiate contracts is important. And when I say KPIs drove some of that, part of what we asked when we went out and did, uh, you know, a request for proposal to different vendors was help us understand your existing customers, what are some of the top KPIs that they use your software for? And we got, that That was an interesting mm. question because we got ideas of ultimately what we would like to be able to track once we deploy this particular uh, piece of software and based on what other customers are, are doing. 
and that helped us get an idea and really create a vision for it. Wow, we could really have some uh, a better view of the time and efforts that we're spending on negotiating contracts through a piece of software. One example of, of a vendor told us that, yeah, one of their reference customers said that their CEO tracked days to contract. In other words, as a CEO of my organization, I want to know, does it take me on average, you know, does it take me 10 days from start to finish to get a contract signed with the customer? Does it take 15? Does it take it 20? Because, you know, I'm competing against other businesses that this customer could go to to get these services and how quickly we can get in and get uh, the customer secured and start moving forward to satisfy their needs is a key indicator. So um, we heard a lot of discussion about that and it was interesting for us to think about it. Number one, to just understand some of the possibilities. Number two, to help explain it and sell it really internally to management. Because mm. when you can go to, uh, you know, a head of sales and say, you know, I won't bore you with the contract details, but would you like a dashboard that where you could look at enti your entire sales organization and you could see these four KPIs that give you an idea of how healthy or unhealthy your contracting process is? Is that interesting to you? And, and you know, pictures can tell uh, a lot uh, that words can't. And I think that was one that was one interesting thing that we learned through the process. Great. No, that's thank you. That's a really helpful example, and I hadn't thought about you know, the fact that you can then try to find the vendor that provides both information about KPIs, but make sure that you're measuring, you know, what you decide your KPIs are. Yeah, those two go hand in hand. Yeah, that's exactly. An interesting, that's an interesting comment. The other thing I wanted to touch on, we've touched on it a little bit, is kind of who is going to get the KPIs. Because when you just said, you know, you show it to the manager, uh, I take it some of your KPIs are for the legal department or your GC to monitor, but who who else gets them? Are there business folks? Is it anybody that wants can see the data? How, how did you make the decisions about, you know, who the measurements are for and who has access to Yeah, them? that's another uh, important question, and it really differs. You know, I think we have some indicators that are really kind of an inside baseball indicator. If you're, you know, ahead of sales and you look at this indicator, it might not tell you that much. But if you're the GC, it's a really important indicator of how uh, how the legal department's doing on certain things. So internal audience for KPIs is certainly one audience. We also use different KPIs when we sit down with our senior management, especially on the risk identification end. You know, if, for example, I go and sit down with the head of one of our divisions and I want, you know, on a quarterly basis to let them know kind of what do I think in terms of the legal risk of this organization, I really want to be able to have something that is as data-driven or at least as presentable in a communication fashion as I can. And so being able to describe the risk, but also describe, okay, is this... Is this, are we red? Are we kind of orange? Are we green? You know, what does this mean to put it into context? Because most of the management wants to know, okay, what decision do I need to take from what you're telling me about this information? And so I think KPIs can help do that. It can uh, help communicate, okay, this is okay. And so no action needed, for example, or this is okay today, but we may be going in a 
bad direction and we might not be okay three months from now. So we need to think about some decisions that we maybe need to take in the medium term, or this is really not good today and we need to take some immediate action. And so I think KPIs, we're trying to figure out how to communicate KPIs in that way to someone outside of a legal department that isn't really thinking about it from a legal perspective as much as we are. Are there any like reference indicators in the industry. I'm thinking about, you know, in the financial sector, there's a bunch of KPIs, but you can look at, oh, in manufacturing industry, this is the PE ratio we're targeting, or this is the average, you know, sales. There are there are metrics, but you can look at least at other public companies and say, how are we tracking um, against the competitors or how are we tracking against the sector? I've never seen anything like that in any legal sense. I'm wondering, is there anything out there? And I guess part of my question is, if not, how do you how do you know what's green? You, know, <laughs> you may say we're twenty percent over budget, but is that is that normal, high, low? I yeah. Mean, I, and there may be even harder ones on the, the indemnity example is a good one. What is considered a a green level of contracts and compliance? Yeah. I mean, you're never going to get a hundred percent. So how do you decide? Yeah. It may just be a judgment call, but well, I'm curious. I as think to, it's interesting. You know, I mean, there are there are resources available, you know, that survey legal departments and have some metrics, average, median, you know, whatever metrics about size of resources per, you know, sales volume or, you know, that give you some general idea of legal spend versus, you know, uh, your revenue or, you know, things like that. But there are so many, as you could imagine, assumptions built into that, you know, it's like comparing apples to oranges. And so I think that can be a good, you know, baseline uh, for some discussion, but it's never the complete story. And then when you get into risk, I think that's very difficult to compare, you know, company by company or, or industry by industry. And so if there are any out there, we're all ears because, uh, you <laughs> I know, think we all need all clients the help are. we can get. We get know? that question a lot, and I think it's come from Michelin and come from other, you know, big global, you know, very established, sophisticated legal departments who say, hey, do you know other legal departments that have KPIs and can we talk? And so I know you yep. do talk with some of them, but then again, so much of it is industry specific or specific to whether you've got a two-person or 35-person exactly. legal department. And what are you measuring? Is it how many contracts, how quickly we do it, whether we're even spending time on that versus some other yeah. you know, activity that's a better use of our yeah. lawyer's time. And I think what's interesting for me is just having those conversations because you, you may not walk away with something and say, we need to do it exactly that way. Here is the roadmap from start to finish. But every conversation that I've had with someone in a different uh, company or a different even industry, inside or outside counsel, really, you learn something. And you may learn something about, okay, this is a question I need to go back and ask. We haven't thought about it. Or you may learn, oh, that's a different way of, of doing something that we're trying to do. Um, maybe I ought to try it a different way. And so I think it's, uh, my perception is that those conversations are happening. And I can speak personally. And I think for our team, we love having those conversations. We always learn something about them. But the idea that you're going to get a full playbook or roadmap, you know, from start to finish that you can just kind of plug and play, I think is is probably like most things uh, a bit unrealistic. But that's one of the things that we try to do is look outside of our world to say, okay, surely there are other teams that are struggling with the same type of question. What can we learn from them? 
Right. Now, that's great. And let me invite our listeners, too. You know, you can email me or send me communication via Twitter or other message, but I'd love to hear from you what you're doing on KPIs and if you've, you know, found any kind of collaboration with other folks and invite my friends at the ACC uh, that have helped sponsor this, too, to maybe something. I could see a future, you know, session on that to Absolutely. get a bunch of GCs in a room and say, you know, what are the right KPIs? Because I think you're right. People are interested in it's in the infancy but we don't have the same kind of standards that you might around something that's been gone on a longer period of time. yeah and i think there's some great steps certainly in the last few years uh forward on this in terms of uh the evolution of legal operations as kind of a separate way of looking at both you know in-house and outside counsel so i think the conversations are happening more and more best practices are being shared the acc is a great example of that it's 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 promising so uh we continue to try to be involved in the conversations sounds good i've got one last question about kpis and sure. we'll touch briefly on project management before yeah. we uh, wrap it up Obviously, I, I come from an outside counsel perspective, and I'm curious as to whether outside counsel are involved at all in the KPIs. Do you share KPIs with counsel? Do you say, okay, one of our KPIs is, to use an example we talked about, you know, comparing spend versus budget. And so you've given us a budget. You should know that we are tracking that, or you should know that our, you know, our target spend for the year is no more than 5% more or 5% less than what it was last year, whatever. Whatever your target, do you, do you try to, do you share it and get buy-in? Are they just internal? What's your, what's your thought? Thoughts on the outside counsel role as they relate to, to KPIs? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, honestly, I, I think we probably underutilize that. I think there are certainly areas where on a specific matter, we're communicating often with outside counsel on what our budget expectations are or if those uh, those change from time to time, uh, even within the matter that we're dealing on. So, you know, making sure that you've got alignment on that on a matter-specific basis, I think, is certainly important. Where it becomes a little bit harder, but I think there's value that, that, like I said, may be underutilized is, okay, stepping back and saying across the spectrum of different matters or different, um, uh, you know, or a group of uh, cases or things like that, what should the metric be, uh, especially if you've got different law firms involved in a portfolio of uh, litigation, for example, how do we compare what is relevant and can be compared and uh, things that really are apples and oranges? That, I think, uh, and we struggle with that. Uh, and by struggle, I mean, I think we're, we're trying to figure out how to do that better because we think there's some fruit there, but uh, it's not easy and it's not always evident. Um, but I think the goal is certainly, uh, I, I think, or the vision can be beneficial because it brings together teams, you know, and that's what uh, a lot of times these are, in-house and outside counsel working together uh, on same types of matters. Teams together to have discussions about what are we trying to do, what's the objective, how do we measure against the objective, and those are, uh, I think those are good conversations um, that, that we continue to try to evolve on. Great. Oh, that's, that's good. Before we wrapped up, I wanted to briefly talk about a related but different topic, and that's project management. Yeah. I know you've spent some time, you know, working on the, the project management side, too, and it's another hot topic that we've yeah. tried to address some. I, I'm interested in kind of your perspective on the importance of project management and maybe both how you see that playing out internally and the role of outside counsel. So, yeah. Well, um, it's interesting. I mean, certainly if I go back 20 years ago or whenever, when I was sitting in, in law school, I would have never, ever thought that I would be uttering words like project management 
uh, or contract management for that matter, uh, as often as I do. And even going back five to 10 years ago, I don't know that that would have been the case. But I had an interesting, I was actually at an ACC event last week and had a conversation with a colleague who was at the same event. And we were both talking about how we are spending more and more time on matters or things that we would consider as project management without, honestly, a, a lot of training, you know, learning mm -hmm. by doing, I think, kind of thing. And I don't think uh, we're alone in that. I think uh, a lot of, especially larger in-house counsel would probably say the same thing. I think it's an area where the reality is that uh, in our legal department, we're managing a variety of different projects. I mean, to be honest, uh, an M&A deal, you know, or a large transaction is a project. You know, there's sure. certainly legal advice and there's certainly uh, drafting and things that need to be done. But it's, I can tell you from our perspective, it's managed as a project and probably most organizations are managed that way too. And so understanding what it takes to manage projects well and how as a lawyer you fit into that, I think is important. And I think it's something that, our team is realizing more and more over the last few years. So we're looking at opportunities to be better at that, to learn. There's, it's certainly a, a specialty that a lot of people go and get certified on and things like that. And so there are things to learn from uh, people inside our organization and then even outside that can help us do a better job of that. But I think it's not necessarily something that you would uh, years ago have considered part of the, you know, the job description of a lawyer or in-house counsel, but I think it's frequently becoming that for a number of lawyers. Yeah, no, I think that's very true. And it's not a law school topic. It's not a law school <laughs> that's, topic. That's your, that's your real life, right? Where yeah. you're, you're day to day, increasingly not sitting around with business people, giving them legal advice and negotiating contracts, yeah. but with being stretched as as far as you are and managing both, you know, it's training your, my observation of what you do is, you know, a lot of training of business people and other people to, yeah. to execute on things as well right. as managing outside counsel who's executing on things. And that makes you a project manager sort of across the board on yeah. everything that you're, yeah. much of what you're doing. I think what we're learning is, and this is probably not the, you know, formal definition of project management, but when you think about it, you think, okay, it forces you to ask questions like, what are we trying to do? What's what's the objective? And that can be evident or, or not. Um, what is it going to take to get there? Resources, you know, budgets, people, money, things, skills maybe that we don't have. And what's our plan to go from where we are today to where we want to be and call it a success? And that's probably a very simplistic uh, definition of project management, but it's something that we're doing all the time as lawyers and certainly as lawyers in an organization. Um, and so being able to quantify that or at least describe that and have some mile markers along the way to know whether you're going in the right direction, I think is, is fundamental. So uh, we could get a lot more specific in terms of project management on that, but I think that's, that's what we've realized is really at the heart of it. Are there, and I guess in the full circle sense, I'm wondering, the, the last comment makes me wonder if there are KPIs that really tie directly into project management. I mean, obviously, in one sense, the KPI of how long it takes to get a contract is if the contract is a project, you know, measuring or how long it takes to get a deal done. But I'm wondering if there are other, you know, the connection to our original topic of KPIs and project management, whether yeah. there's a, you know, whether there's a way to measure how how good a project management are we, how, yeah. how, how well are we doing at the project well, management Well, we're, we're definitely trying to do that. We've plagiarized a lot of this from our business colleagues, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that in our organization are doing the exact same thing. And so today we use 
you know, right now we probably have seven or eight legal department projects that we are we're tracking and monitoring and are maybe at the beginning stages or the ending stages. But that's something that as a department we track and we've realized it's been important for us to be a little bit more intentional about that. And so for each of those projects on a regular basis, whoever the leader of the project is in the legal department has a little one page slide that shows very clearly what's the objective who are the people or resources that are working on the objective? Is it something that we think we're going to be done, you know, six months from now, 18 months from now? What are the milestones uh, along the way? Are we on time? Are we four weeks behind? And, you know, what are the risks uh, that we're seeing in terms of managing the project? So um, it's a tool that we just kind of stole from other people that were, you know, using that kind of almost KPI uh communication tool, but that's something that we've learned helps raise awareness both in our department and with people outside our department to say, hey, here's some here's something we're trying to accomplish and we're either doing well or we're not and we might need more resources or attention to get where we need to be. So that's probably uh, you know, we, I would consider that a type of KPI uh, because it helps us focus on something that we're, we're trying to accomplish and it helps us make decisions based on of, uh, off of how we report that. So Excellent. No, I think so too. And just having something like that is a, you know, is an interesting idea that I think a lot of people don't do. Right? Yeah. What, are, what are our, you know, what are the projects and just, just staffing and dates, is, yep. it goes a long way to say, oh, okay, we got that and you've assigned ownership. So yeah. that's an interesting yeah. Kind of basic, in some sense, common sense, but I think often overlooked yeah. step. So yeah. helpful. And we found for us, I mean, projects tend to be things that require a team to work on them. You know, uh, occasionally you'll have one person that takes a project from start to finish and doesn't really need any other resources. But that's, uh, I think, the exception. Usually you need three, four, maybe more people working on something. And so in order to have a team, you've got to define where are we going? What do we need to get there? And what, uh, how do we, you know, define success along the way? That can be a lot of work just to get that on a piece of paper. And I think what we've learned is that it's time we're spending, you know, sometimes if we think we've got five people together and we're trying, we're ha really having a hard time deciding together and agreeing on what the objective is, that usually tells you something. Right. Um, that it's worth spending some time to figure that out rather than just skipping that step altogether and starting to move forward. So um, we're, we're learning uh, along the way. All right. Terrific. Well, we've reached that point in the podcast that is the most high-pressure part. So I hope, uh, I hope <laughs> you're ready. This is, the, this is the trivia quiz. Okay. Um, uh, again, I know you've held different international leadership roles at Michelin, so uh, I know you've been to several different countries. Yeah. Is, that, is that correct? Yes. Uh, as a result, we've kind of put together an international focus oh, boy. quiz for you. Okay. Uh, as a reminder of our basic rules, you can call a friend here. You've got one sitting with Good. you. So. Oh. Good. If necessary, you can I'm ask uh, Perfect. Melinda for help. If you get, uh, there'll be five questions about the world. Okay. If you get all five correct, you get this very exclusive engraved Womble Bond Dickinson Great. Uh, California Chardonnay. Okay. And get any of... fewer than five, and you'll have to settle for a glass, uh, for a bottle of wine <laughs> that is engraved. So okay. the stakes are very high. Okay, good, um, good, good. Are, are you on ready my to toes. go? Yes, all yes. Right. Question number one. Okay. How many stars adorn the flag of China? Uh I don't know why I have three in my head. Three in the head. Is that your final answer? Um, <laughs> mm. 
I see Melinda looking. You can you can get help from a friend if you'd like to chime in. Man, I wish she's, I had my I know, I'm cell not phone gonna, right now to Google I've this. Got but, it there, uh, but I'm not going to resist. Yeah, I'm sorry. This is cheating. a no cell phone zone. Okay. Yeah, I, that's the memory. best I'm going to get. I'm going to say three. Right. Unfortunately, uh, that is an uh, no, incorrect I'm number. Just, the answer is five. It's a large star okay. flanked by four smaller stars. Ah, right. I was going to okay. say one, so I was wrong, okay. too. Okay. All right. All right. It's all right. Five. That's all right. You got four more questions. Surely you may get one of them right. Okay. Which country has the highest percentage of its total electricity produced through nuclear power. For extra credit, oh, you can boy. just name it. If not, I'll give you the three choices. Okay. Any idea? Do you want to guess? Or oh, do you want which your country three? out we of get, uh, do you in want, the world? In the world. What okay. country, which country has the highest percentage of total electricity through nuclear power? Well, uh, I'm happy to give you three choices and you'll get full credit, but if you can come up with it without a prompt, you get a bonus point. Okay. Well, I'll... I'll, I'll Think out loud here. I know France is up there, um, and if I get it wrong by not guessing France, I'm probably not going to be able to show my face back at the office. So I'm going to go with France. You're correct. Yay, okay, good. good. Congratulations on the bonus really question. Max misses. You know, you make up for the China by getting okay. the uh, right. bonus. The, good, good. The good. options were France, which is an incredible 74.8 percent. Is it really? Okay, mm. and it so was three high. quarters. That's really high. Uh, three quarters through nuclear. Okay. Um, the Ukraine has 46 percent. Okay. Canada at 15 percent. Oh, okay. I'm okay. not sure that those are the top three, but I know France okay. is number one. All right. Ukraine is second. Huh. Ukraine, Ukraine is second is in the world at wow. okay. Is Canada third at 15%? Or is that a throwaway? Okay. 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 All right. But that's impressive for okay. France. So yeah, Michelin is uh, headquarters. Percentage. Yep. Um, high percentage nuclear power, yep. um, which is great. Question three. Okay. And you're now back up. I'm redeem myself. Okay, yeah. good. Um, at less than half a square kilometer... Vatican City could fit four times over in what Mediterranean nation, the world's second smallest country? Okay, so the question is, you can fit four of those you in what country? You can fit four Vatican cities into what country that's on the Mediterranean? Oh, on the Mediterranean. Yeah, it's a Mediterranean uh, nation. So it's right on the probably med. Monaco? Monaco is correct. Okay, all right. Congratulations. Okay, okay. never been to Monaco, yeah. but uh, need it, it, to save it, up, as I understand it. Right, at two square kilometers and a population over thirty-eight thousand, it is apparently the most densely populated country ah. in the world. Okay, all right. Monaco, okay. good casino, kind of the James Bond. <laughs> yeah, area. exactly. Have you been to Monaco? I have not been. To, I, I've been to Vatican City, but not okay. Monaco. I, I did. Yeah. I've enjoyed Monaco. Okay, it, it is interesting. <laughs> you definitely feel rich and famous. I imagine. You are, yeah. Okay. Or not, but a beautiful, beautiful spot okay. right neighboring France. Yeah. Uh-huh. The, uh, on the coast there. Question four. Okay. Uh, and this is appropriate as someone that works in the tire industry. Okay. Name one of the three largest natural rubber producing countries in the world. I have three here. You okay. simply need to name one uh, to get the credit. If you name additional, you can earn bonus points. Um, well, again, I'll think out loud here. I'm pretty sure Indonesia's one. Uh, Brazil might be. Do I just need to name you one? You just need to name one okay. to get full credit. If you can name, if you name two, you get a bonus point. If you could three get all would three be of amazing. the top three, I'm going to say Indonesia points. and Brazil. All right, you get Indonesia is one of the. Oh, top it is. Three. Okay, so you get a point for that. Apparently, okay. Thailand and Vietnam fill out the top three. Brazil oh, really? is not in. Okay, that, okay, in the top three list. All right, but all you right. name Indonesia as the okay. top. Okay, so. full right. credit. No okay, bonus. good, good. Mm-hmm. Thank you. All right, so you're still, but you're still you with one to go. Okay, you're still now four for four. All right. Really miss one. Oh, I need a drum roll here. All right, so the final question. (laughs) What country holds the world record for the most official languages? And again, you can name it for a bonus, or I'll give you the choice of three for full credit. The most Most official official. languages. 
Well, and if you're not sure, I'm happy to just give you a selection three. It's a tough, tough one to just pull out of the air. I, you know, I, I'm, I don't know why. I'm assuming Switzerland's got to be up there, but I don't know if it would be the most. Um, let me give you. It's yeah, not. Give me so some, let me give you your, give top, me your choices. Your choices would be Zimbabwe, uh, Japan, or Finland. Oh gosh. Okay. Well then, um, I'm gonna have to do like the uh, eeny, meeny, miny, and mo here. Zimbabwe. I'm looking. At, I, I don't no see any help from the other no side. Of man. I'm gonna right. say Finland. Uh, I'm sorry. It is Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe. Sixteen different official you, languages. Wow. I believe, okay. Just based on the tribal uh, dialects. Okay. That all yeah, that official makes sense. Languages, okay. So. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. Huh. Man. Well, well done. Well, well thank done. you. Four out of five is actually. I need to put you in the upper, up upper, my, uh, upper echelon of our standard languages here. Definitely take home <laughs> uh, some delicious Chardonnay. Perfect. Thank you for for participating. Um, and that brings us to the close of this episode. Uh, Gant, Melinda, thank you both so much for speaking with us today. If listeners are interested in in hearing from you or any speaking engagements, any anything you have coming up, or any way to, to get in touch with you, anything you want to share with our listening audience. I know, Melinda, they can find you at our website. The, Just the go, Womble to Womble bon Dickinson. Dickinson go to WombleBondDickinson.com. Is there a way, if they want to contact you about KPIs, any, any sure. way to contact uh, LinkedIn you, is Gant? an easy way to get in touch with me with the name Gantt Sawinski. I don't think there's many <laughs> Gantt right. Sawinski lawyers out there. I don't know. I've never tried. Like G-A-N-T Gantt. Yes. G-A-N-T Gantt. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, thank you both. Thank you, Mark. Um, and, of course, I encourage you to subscribe to the In-House Roundhouse on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. You can also find all our previous episodes on the Wombleborn Dickinson website. We do have some other exciting episodes coming up, and we will be hosting, doing some live from the Association of Corporate Counsel National Meeting in San Antonio, Texas, next month. So stay tuned for those episodes. Uh, we'll have a number of interesting topics. Thank you for listening. I'll see you at the next station.